Hello, welcome back. This is part two of our episodes about the smugglers of the Suffolk coast. That's right, this is part two. If you haven't heard part one, go back now quickly and listen. Otherwise, part two will not make any sense to you. Have you listened? Great. Okay, we will now return to the Suffolk landscape where we will hear some more tales of daring do, dragoons, smugglers and all sorts of mischief. Enjoy the episode. Thanks. story which is not I don't think it's the Hadley gang because it's from later in the 1700s but it's the story of the doomed cargo it's quite a good story I think you'll enjoy it the story of the doomed cargo is about an ill-fated smuggling operation (laughs) in the summer of around 1775 it involved a sizable cargo of Geneva this gin liqueur yes Mm. which was being smuggled in from Holland Holland they also called it I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they also called it Hollands as well. Hollands. Because it came from Holland. They just uh, called it Hollands. Ah, oh, Hollands. Bit lazy, call, isn't like it? Holland days. Sort of. I call it the land of the flat nose. <laughs> <laughs> so this was smuggled in from mainland Europe and it had been brought to Suffolk via Sizewell Gap, which is like a kind of, like a gap in the cliffs. A bit covey. Kind of a cove, maybe. Rosie's trying to envision Sizewell Gap. I am. I don't know. I don't think it exists the, the in quite the same way. cliffs I mean, now friendly. there's... Um, Maybe they're not big cliffs. Now there's the power plant, of Nuclear course. Nuclear power plant yeah. at Sizewell. Yeah, well. So that dominates there. the landscape there now. But yeah. So it was basically a way into the mainland that they could sneak through. Sounds a bit like a fjord. Because a fjord is a, is a crack in the coast I where the sea the, comes in. I think the idea of a fjord in East Anglia is... Is laughable. Laughable, mm. yeah. Yeah, and yet nobody's laughing. <laughs> 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 How do you explain that one? <laughs> More like a fjord. A fjord? What's like a, that? Like a pond fjord. Oh, I see. <laughs> fjord Hall, where John Harvey lived. <laughs> um, anyway, there were about 300 tubs of this gin liqueur. Okay. Mm. They were run through the gap. That's what they said. They would be like, we've run this through oh, the yeah. gap. Yeah. And they now were being stored in a barn. And the barn was under the care of a man named Crocky Fellows. Love There's it. There's a lot of good names in this story. And Crocky Fellows himself was not, you know, an active smuggler, but he kind of worked with them to provide hiding places and things like that. He was like just that. the owner of the barn. He had lots of barns. Yeah. But bad luck was now to strike, and not for the last time in this doomed operation. Another local named Clumpy Bowles... <laughs> Not true. Clumpy Bowles, so named because of his club foot. Oh, so Clumpy Bowles. I think it was, it was a Roger Clumpy Bowles. I'm assuming Crocky Fellows was also not really called Crocky, but <laughs> but anyway, Clumpy Bowles. He discovered the stash and he informed a local preventative officer. What a snitch! By the name of Reed. Yeah, he snitched. Why would you do that, Clumpy Bowles? Why have you done this? <laughs> 
Reed called for the assistance of two dragoons who were stationed at uh, Leeston, but they were drunk in the White Horse pub. Uh, <laughs> of course they were. Yeah. So there seems to be this seemingly ill-advised uh, strategy where they station the dragoons in inns. Yeah, waiting. <laughs> to, to wait <laughs> for news of uh, contraband and uh, smuggling operations. But often you can imagine what happened. Because mm. probably some, a lot of the time not much happened. So the dragoons yeah. were like, you well, were just well, we're stationed. Yeah. But this was presumably an era where you were either outside or you were in an inn. There was no other. There wasn't. <laughs> well, there weren't park benches. There weren't. Yeah, there wasn't. We've, uh, we've talked a lot before about often they would hold inquests into murders and things in the local inn because that was kind of the community space. So you've basically churches or inns. And you can't station the dragoons in the church, can you? No. So the inn is the only other community space. Inquest. <laughs> Very good. Good puns today, everyone. Excellent pun work. <laughs> so they were drunk. These dragoons are no good. They sound like idiots. So uh, Reed sent a message to another inn at Eastbridge where two more dragoons were stationed. <laughs> also, they were also drunk. Now... This inn was the excellently named Eel's Foot. Oh, it's good. The Eel's Foot Inn. And actually, I recently got a message from Katie Holiday, mm-hmm. often of the podcast, and she goes away to Oldsborough quite often, and they'd walked to Eastbridge, and she sent me a photo of the Eel's Foot pub sign. Is it still there? And it's still there, yeah. <gasps> and of and course, she was like, look at this, no feet. Look at this amazing name, the Eel's Foot. Yeah. And you ha- already had it in your research for this podcast? I came across the research after. Oh. So I first saw the sign, what a greatly named pub. Oh. Then I came across it in the store. I was well, like, well, well. foot rears its eely head once again. <laughs> <laughs> With clumpy banks. <laughs> clumpy bowls. So these ones weren't drunk yet at the eel's foot. However, the landlady was probably a recipient of stolen goods because she contrived to delay the second pair by mm-hmm. offering them on the house some Hollands for the road. Oh. <laughs> Nobody can resist that. How did you run a state when all the agents of state were simultaneously in inns? And when you discovered some drunken agents of state, the only thing you could do was call out for other agents of state who were in other inns. The poor customs men. So they're at like at the customs houses getting wind of these things and they're like, right, call we need dragoons. to find some sober dragoons somewhere in Suffolk to come and help us. So they did eventually get to the barn, but they Four were a bit later. drunk and they were they were late. And of course, by this point, the smugglers had got wind of what was going on. So they were in the process of moving the tubs out of the back of the barn. One strap to the front, one strap to the back. Exactly. And Crocky Fellows was at the front of the barn delaying the dragoons from going in. He knew, he was like, if I just can delay them a bit longer, all the tubs are going to be gone. What do you think he was doing? <laughs> a dance! <laughs> a dance! He was like, hey, dragoons, <laughs> have you ever seen this dance? Crocky Fellows was a fine dancer. I think he probably was, yeah. They were just astonished by his movements and they couldn't, they couldn't enter. And if they approached the door, his dance would take a leap, a leap towards the door. And doorway. they said, we've got extremely important business, Crocky. Just do one more round and then we must absolutely go into the barn. How about cheese toasty? Oh, all right then. <laughs> so anyway, by the time the dragoons got into the barn, the tubs had all been moved out the back, put onto some horses and carts and taken away. What no, an, it doesn't sound too ill-fated. What an ill-fated well, that's yeah, not it? the end of the story. Oh. <laughs> so they took them to another stash, another stash place. And this was a large underground vault 
holes mm. you said about holes. <laughs> mm. And the large underground vault was concealed by a muck heap. A dung heap. Ew. Yes. And there were already some stashes of contraband tea and tobacco in the vault. So they began to move the 300 tubs down into the vault where the tea and tobacco already Actually, were. Actually, 300 tubs is a lot, isn't it? It is a lot, isn't it? So once they'd got put them all in, they put the trapdoor back. They put the dung back over the top of the trapdoor. Yeah. And then as a final flourish, they drove a herd of sheep through the dung to erase any of their tracks, any of their footprints on any of the horse and cart tracks. And apparently that was like a favoured technique of Suffolk smugglers to drive sheep across things to uh, obscure the tracks of the smugglers. My episode of The Long View has gone a little bit askew. That's where high heels come from. (laughs) Hundreds of sheep driven across dung. I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about... Oxford Street on a Saturday night. I think it works. Yes, even the sheep were involved in the free trade. Goodness. The next part of the story involves poor Clumpy Bowles. Oh, Because he had he the club dubbed foot. them in. He had dubbed them in, yes. The gang couldn't let it stand. If someone had, had dubbed them in, they couldn't let it stand because then others could follow suit. So they needed to show that this was, this was dangerous behaviour. Unacceptable. So about a fortnight after the failed raid on the barn, two men rode up to Clunky's house. Clumpy. <laughs> He was Clumpy as well. (laughs) Clumpy's house. Sorry, Clumpy. They grabbed him. They flung him across a saddle and they raced away on their horses. He was gagged with a beer bottle bung. Ow. He was flogged with horse whips till the smugglers presumed him dead. They then threw his body. They threw his body over a hedge and made off. But Clumpy wasn't dead, only horribly injured. Only hiding in a hedge. Yes. A farm worker found him the next morning and he was quickly taken to the Green Man at Tunstall. Fine establishment. Another inn. Another inn. And astonishingly, the barmaid recognised the beer bung that had been used to gag him. And she said, oh, that's my beer bung. That's from this pub. And she'd cut a distinctive notch onto it so she could remember which bottle it belonged to. What? She was like, I cut that notch. I recognise that beer bottle. Amazing. And, and she said... So hang on, was the beer bung still in Stumpy's mouth? <laughs> Poor Clumpy. <laughs> well, perhaps it had fallen into his clothes, or I don't know. It was it was a prime piece of evidence. <laughs> and then she remembered she had lent this beer bung to a man named Tom Tibbenham. This story is ridiculous. <laughs> Tom I Tibbenham. That beer bung. <laughs> Clumpy was able to confirm. Yes, Tom Tibbenham was one of the men who attacked him. Oh wow! And the other man was Nosy Debney. Ah. Oh. <gasps> So cool because he hadn't yet had his nose chopped off. (laughs) Or maybe like a massive nose. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Could have been. Or just a squashy nose like Rosie. A lopsided one. Nosy O'Donovan, we'll call him. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Tom Tibbenham and Nosy Debney were rounded up and later each was sentenced to two years in Ipswich jail for the assault on Clumpy. Not too bad. It's not that long, is it? For beating a man with a horsewhip. No. Yeah, but you're unlikely to live two years in a prison, And t- I would say to spawn the tale of the ill-fated smuggling thing. It's not finished mm. yet! Oh. <laughs> what I don't like, I don't mind the violence in the moment, but the premeditated yeah, it was a planned violence, attack. Yeah. that sticks in the throat. Mm. Now you're turning mm. against like the smugglers. <laughs> but there's more to the story, because oh. so far it's not so deep, not is so it? Bad. The smugglers have got, I mean, for Clumpy it's not yeah. great. But they've got away with the the cargo. But how are the drinks? Should we? Is it 
time for the, the well, last sip one. Sipo water Ooh. would probably not go amiss, to be honest. I feel uh, we can have some somewhat water. Um, inebriated. Give us the drink. Rosie is entering with her drink. Ooh, nice glasses. Ooh. Doesn't this look sophisticated? Very. Thank it, you. It looks like a herd of sheep have run over the... <laughs> Run over the glass. Mm, it's got a kind of trampled mud vibe. It classic Suffolk style. It smells of cocoa. That will be the cocoa-edged oh rim. And it's sort of a nice, like a golden colour. I'm going to say there is a very slight dirty <laughs> potty vibe to the whole affair because it's like a cloudy <laughs> yellow liquid. No! <laughs> it's sophisticated! It's a brown-smeared glass. It's a cocoa dusting. It's a cocoa dusting. <laughs> Maybe it's just it. mine. Ruth's looks a bit less. Mine just looks a bit smeared with brown and a cloudy yellow liquid. I have to rename it the first water. Does it have a name? Not until you've drunk it. No. Okay. Oh. All right, let's try. Let's Give it try. a try. Ooh. Mm. Oh, that's delicious. Oh, it's very nice. Ooh. Oh, that's really good. It tastes good. quite puddingy. Yeah. Quite a puddingy drink, strong, mm. very strong. Strong God, pudding. I'm sort of hoping somebody would have made a drink that's not, you know, thirty five percent ABV. Rob's like. yearning for a can of Foster's right yeah. now. <laughs> so um, I, you did say earlier it's got rum in. Has mm. it got amaretto in? No. There's aniseed. Yes. That's Ooh, what you're getting. Oh, well done. Thank you. So mm. what that's that good be No, it Ooh. wouldn't. Ruth said that the night would be Fen smugglers. And do you remember, I was trying to explain what I was going to do to my small child. Yes. And I was not concentrating. And in the end, he just went, whatever, you're going to talk on the radio about fen pirates. <laughs> and in my head, they were pirates. So hence the rum and the fen, I made a concoction from Ooh. fennel. Ooh. I went wordplay. So it's a fennel rum drink. It actually... It works. Yeah. I'll say it works. Mm. Rob so the looks aniseed like his mind is blown. My mind is blown. <laughs> yeah. is the, fe- the aniseed flavour is fennel that you've done something to or with. I infused it. <gasps> what? The We've had two infusions yeah. today. And then it's got ouzo in it. <laughs> to just up the, uh, up the aniseed contents. <laughs> and a chocolate liqueur. Which wow. actually makes perfect sense now because we're smuggling in chocolate... chocolate. Coffee, yes. coffee, tones yes. of rum and booze. And the effect is it looks like grog. I need yeah. several Marlboro Reds to calm down from this. <laughs> this is, uh... But in essence, it's, it's very, very strong. So every strong. every element is alcohol. It's some lime. Some lime, of course. Fennel's not alcohol. No, that's true. But infused into... Fennel's infused. one of our five a day. <laughs> that's delicious, thank you. You're welcome. I feel like it's... Um, I can feel it's... Um, Clearing my head. Yeah. While simultaneously <laughs> making me drunk. <laughs> the most dangerous sort of alcohol. <laughs> where you feel, yeah. you know, like, oh, I yeah. feel so clever and alert. <laughs> Ruth's going to come in with some home truths. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to hear about the end of the doomed cargo story. The last we heard then of the cargo was that they put it in the vault underground, covered it with muck. Yeah. Yeah. Run a the bunch sheep of sheep run over it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Classic so um, at some point they're going to have to go and get that out to take it onward. No good sitting in the ground. Yeah. No. So a group of the gang assembled near the muck-covered vault, ready with horses and carts to take the tubs on their onward journey. They raked enough dung out of the way to reveal the entrance and open the vault up. Mm-hmm. Crocky Fellows was there. Yeah. 
He cautioned that they should let the foul air from the dung disperse before they went in. But one of the youngest members... I don't want tobacco that's been stored in here. Meant to say earlier on, on the subject of tobacco, one of the cool things that they did, going back to when we liked the smugglers, to disguise the tobacco, they would coil it up and make it look like rope. Oh, that is cool. So it looked like they just had rope on the ship, but really it would be coils of tobacco. Wow, and then you could smoke the rope. It's clever. Yeah. (laughs) Very clever. That's where the phrase to smoke the rope comes from. Or do you think that, you know, um, Blackbeard... He had coils of something in his hair and he used to flame them. Did he? Maybe oh. it was tobacco. Yeah, Maybe that's what made tobacco. him look so terrifying is he had like plaques oh. with them and they would ignite the end of the plaques and he would look wow. like, that is terrifying. like a flaming Medusa. He was lucky. It didn't go I know. further. It sounds like a terrible thing to do on a ship. Mm. Yeah. Well, you just dive in the sea, I suppose, if you go on fire. Yeah, that's not as fun as it sounds. According <laughs> to my reading of Moby Dick, diving into the sea. <laughs> Is an ill-fated expedition yeah. often. So Crockyfellow said we should let the foul air disperse. What, yeah. because of the smell? Or... Well. Oh. But one of the youngest members of the gang poo-pooed this idea, as Ironic. it were. <laughs> as it were. Um, and he descended into the dark trapdoor, down into the vault. His name was William Cooper. Another went with him, and this was Robert Debney, brother of Nosy Debney, oh. who'd carried out the assault on uh, Crocky. What was uh, Mrs. Pumpy Debney Bowles. doing? One son called <laughs> <laughs> Robert. <laughs> oh no! I've well, we've used the only boy's name I know. So, what are we going to call our second son? I don't know, Z. There we go. Can you think why this might be a bad idea? Mm. Because the noxious gases would have pulled inside mm, yes. the, the vault hole and they should send a canary down first, but they haven't any canaries because it's... It's 1750s Fenland. <laughs> so they send well, down... Well, it's Suffolk. I don't know if it's Fenny. It's yeah, like true. rural. Yeah, that's true. Rural, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, dung releases uh, toxic fumes, basically. So it's really sad. Like, occasionally on the news you hear stories, don't you, of people working on farms who basically go into like a a sewage room and there was I think a few years ago there was a family in Wales where two brothers and a, and the father basically were overcome from the the noxious what? fumes from yeah. from dung and like fell into this um sewage pit God. because the the it's I think I think it's carbon carbon dioxide but in like very very large amounts so it's yeah it's bad gases basically Jesus Christ so Crocky Fellows was not you know he was talking sense he wasn't yeah. joking around no no he said, let the foul air disperse. But William Cooper was young and cocky. He just went down in. He said, if there's anything, <laughs> if there's any good thing about being a young man, it's being able to handle large quantities of noxious gases. Get what out he of apparently my way. said was, he had enough good air in him to overcome uh... any uh, bad air. But also, he needn't have had to wait very long. I no, mean, I know, gaseous exactly. exchange is quite quick. <laughs> That's what your grandma used to say. <laughs> So the two of them went in, silence fell. The smugglers called down, but there was no response. So a third man followed. His name was Black George Nichols. He does sound like a pirate. Yeah. Yeah. But Black George Nichols swooned on the ladder as soon as he started to enter the vault because the fumes hit his nose and he had to be dragged out insensible. Quickly, the remaining men tried to tear away the wood of the trapdoor to let more air down into the vault. But it was too late. Cooper and Debney were dead. No! Jeez! Killed by the noxious (laughs) They were later buried in the graveyard of St. Michael's in Tunstall. 
So this was an ill-fated trip indeed. That is quite ill-fated. News of this misfortune reached an excise officer in nearby Saxmundham. He knew the smugglers would remove all wares from the vaults as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. And he took a gamble on which of their known haunts they might go to next. Up to the Paraton Punch Bowl in Aldringham he went. <laughs> is that another inn? It's another inn. There's a lot of inns in this story. And he took two dragoons with him, not drunk. And he got lucky. Fresh dragoons. In the yard of the Paraton Punch Bowl, there were the carts with the 300 tubs of Geneva. Oh. The remaining smugglers were all in a terrible way after the death of their friends. Their pals. And they gave up without much of a fight. Oh. Oh. They were too noxious gasified to fight. Yeah, they were just shocked by all that had unfolded. That's just awful. Just gave up. It's a sad, dungy story <laughs> for the smugglers. Something's unglamorous about that end, isn't it? It's there? very dying, unglamorous. Yeah. Dying in a noxious Horrible way of dying. Um, dung heap. There's not much glamour in smuggling. I think but it, but we that. think of smuggling as being extremely glamorous, I would say. I think it's more Coves. glamorous, but when you actually think, basically, it's... As we've learned, a lot of it is about tax and Mm. basically about not paying tax. Then you're like, "Mm, this doesn't seem that glamorous anymore. Mm. (laughs) The coiling the tobacco to look like rope, you know, they made special rigged barrels so that it hid the brandy so it looked like there was water in. Like they did some very inventive, creative stuff. Yeah. But ultimately what they were doing was avoiding tax, which is not glamorous. <laughs> they were basically kind of like nimbies, weren't they? They were kind of like, I don't want to contribute to the greater good. Although the greater good was war. There's, and also mm, the thing was... That, uh, maybe they were actually conscientious objectors. They could have been conscientious objectors. A lot of the wars were, um, you know, they, they weren't wars that anyone felt particularly mm. invested in. They were Some of these wars were happening thousands and thousands of miles away. Yeah. So they were like, God, you know, why... Does a war that's happening halfway around the world mean that we're having to now pay five times as much for our tea as we used to? Yeah. So, you know, they and they didn't know the difference between customs and excise. The everyday person. <laughs> Nobody does. All they're saying is we just suddenly are paying shitloads more for things that we used to buy for, Cost you know, of living yeah. prices. For tuppence. Cause and now lives. costing us three pounds. Thruppence. Does the tuppence, thruppence thing go any further? Is there, a, <laughs> is there fuppence? <laughs> Quad, quadruppence. Oct. Does it stop at thruppence? That's the end. I think that's the end. It's it's pence, tuppence, (laughs) thruppence, and that's it. That's that's all there is. So the last part of the podcast is about the end of the smuggling trade. Oh, why? Because you know it's it's boo boo. (laughs) We still think that they're glamorous rogues. I still think that they're glamorous rogues. Even if some of them did die of noxious fumes. Even if they cut off a Jeremiah Gardner's nose. You've got to realise that in Rosie's world, a nose is just a useless, fleshy appendage. It, she cares, doesn't care either way about a nose being chopped off. It's like, it's like getting your ear pierced. I don't care much for the state of the day with the war. The government of the day. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you don't get the they, sense They weren't that looking anyone... after their own citizens, no. were they? No. And therefore, each to their own. Yeah. This is not like a sort of no to the guided bus, kind of no for the sake of it type no, movement. No. no, 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 no. But the criminality had to end. Yeah, as with all, it can't good, as with all good things. It can't continue unchecked. It was getting out of control. Yeah. Actually, we see that the things that led to the decline of the smuggling epidemic were unsurprisingly kind of the same factors that had led to its proliferation, which was economic and political factors. I'll tell you some reasons. Mm. Various new pieces of legislation were passed through the 1700s attempting to crack down on the free trade. So the dragoons. 
Is that one of them? (laughs) Dragoons must now be sober. Send the dragoons to the town hall, not the inns. Yeah. A lot of these pieces of legislation didn't really have very much effect. And in some cases, they just exacerbated the violence. But some of them did start to make a difference. One new law of 1782 aimed to tempt the smugglers from a life of crime into the armed forces. And this would, if they agreed to do that, it would wipe the slate clean. Classic And actually, the uh, it's a bit like, you know, you hear like, oh, the FBI are hiring the hackers, you know, mm. type uh, yeah. thing. It's kind of like, you know, there, there's some of them are very skilled seamen. And then the idea is actually it would be better if we could get them to work for us and we'll just kind of pardon them for everything they've done in the past. We'll, we'll ignore all that and we'll get them on our side. So some, some smugglers did, did go for that. At the end of the 1700s, the French Revolutionary War was underway. French Revolution was in 1789. I remember the, do you remember the 200th anniversary in 1989? No. No. I do. I had to paint a tricolour in celebration of the French Revolution. I didn't know what it was, what a tricolour was. I didn't know anything, but I was at some summer camp thingy. Well, it's July. Uh, Yeah. Storming the Bastille. Bastille. Uh, July 15th. 21st. Can't remember. uh, July 14th, I think it is. So you obviously anyway, weren't at the but, 200. But anyway. Obviously, the British didn't like this because there were rumblings, still rumblings, that, you know, the French have got rid of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. And that was more than rumblings. That well, was true. exactly. But there were rumblings elsewhere. It kind of spurred an idea that there could be a, a general uprising in other places as well. The Napoleonic War was soon to follow, and that was again with France. Smugglers acted in complete defiance of British laws and they would often trade directly with French suppliers. Technically, that was the enemy. So the Crown and government were beset by problems on all sides. Once the Revolutionary War was underway, the smugglers would sometimes also smuggle French aristocrats fleeing the New Republic out of France, like in Blackadder. Yes! Does that happen in Blackadder? Yes, it does! Yeah, the Scarlet Pimpernel goes over, doesn't he? And he's like, we bring back the French toffs yeah. oh. because they're going to and be guillotined the- if they ah. stay in France. So the smugglers could say, actually, we can get you over the channel to England. How many French dignitaries or whatever can you get in a tub? <laughs> can you call them, can you call call them, them into, into a rope? <laughs> Hide them in a secret barrel. But in another way, the wars with France made things harder for the smugglers because it meant that there was an increased military presence along the coastline mm-hmm. in the east and south coasts. And it also meant that there were two new forces established as a further preventative method in around 1817. This was the coast blockade and the coast guard. Uh-huh. And this ah. was a mixture of forces at sea and on land. Amazing. The coast guard, mm. which we still have today. We still have them, yeah. And they do, a, you know, they do a similar thing. They're checking for, I think, are they? They're checking for people doing what they shouldn't be doing at sea. No, they're checking they're for saving a day trippers who have got they're saving got into trouble. That's the lifeboats. <laughs> but Coast Guard, Coast Guard is they the lifeboats. They probably do that too. Yeah. They do that too. Wait, Coast Guard and lifeboats is the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Coast Guards ride in lifeboats to save people's lives. The boats are the boats. Is that right? No, and the, the, li- the, no, lives, the um, Lifeboat Association is, is a charity. And the they get called Lifeboat out. They got called out by presumably the Coast Guard. Anyway, yeah. these new forces were being brought in. And it also came about that the government were like, oh, maybe part of the problem is we're not paying the people enough to do their jobs very mm-hmm. well. We're not attracting the best candidates. Mm-hmm. We need to give a better rate of pay. These, so these dragoons again. are a bunch of goons, yeah. basically. That was the problem. 
So they really improved pay and conditions for the new forces. Yeah, they get five um, percent to back try and attract people. more people, and to mean that you know they were less tempted to take the backhanders and go along, you know, turn a blind eye, do the bribery, all that kind of thing. And also, what happened was Waterloo, eighteen fifteen. Napoleon did surrender. Napoleon did <laughs> my, surrender. My. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Napoleonic Wars drew to an end. That's the first time I've ever done an ABBA joke. <laughs> that was a good one. And this meant that there were lots of ex-Navy men looking for new jobs. So they were like, oh, we, you know, we can attract all these people who've been in, in, the, in the wars in oh, France. wow. Who are going to be quite, you know, know what they're doing. Not a bit afraid of a bit of a skirmish with a smuggler. Patriotic. Yeah. yeah. Love of state. So they, a lot of the, the men that had been in the Navy during the wars went to work in the, um, the new forces, the Coast Guard and the Coast Blockade. But perhaps the final nail in the coffin of the free trade was changes to taxes. The wars were drawing to an end. The money wasn't needed anymore. Import taxes were slashed in the 1840s, drastically reduced, massively reduced down to levels that meant smuggling was no longer a necessity anymore. So in the end, it was boring economic policy. Brought an end to the free trade. But, you, I mean, but the smugglers won then. I mean, the smugglers' aim is presumably to, you know, yeah, the the trade the union of smugglers would be very happy. Yeah, they, they win. Yeah, paying conditions and lower taxes. Well, the people win. The smugglers stop making loads of money through criminal enterprise. But they also and have to have go to back have, to working on the on the land. They didn't have bungs put in their mouths, their nose chopped off. <laughs> they didn't have to hide but in that a hedge. Happened twice. That was the customs men. <laughs> all that we know of. Think about how many no, other there noses. Was, of oh, course, there were yes, all sorts of, course, of things of course, like that of course, going of course. on. So smuggling really, it just had it had about a hundred years of of being this kind of insane epidemic where everyone in the communities of the coast was involved with yeah. smuggling and slash the taxes. Get some better, uh, better paying conditions for the for the forces, and there you go. Solved the problem. I wonder what happened around the rest, and what I'm wondering is because I know up in uh, Northumberland near Whitby, mm. there's Robin Hood's Bay. Yes, classic smuggling territory. Mm-hmm. Did their smuggling struggles match? The Fenland smuggling. Oh well, the, the the changes in the kind of political and economic condition was, they would have been was across the, the country. Yeah, that would have been yeah. the same. But yeah. I wonder whether their cargo was different. Whether you would go to certain places for different contraband. I think it was probably largely the same sort of cargo through the country because it would I be the if same. They were goods getting anything Danish? Oh, maybe. I don't know. So that's the story of the smugglers in Lovely. Suffolk. The thing that most surprises me about that after 12 years of, 13 years of this government is that economic and political policy can change conditions on the ground. Who would have thought? Amazing. I just thought it was all <laughs> totally futile and things were just going to get worse forever. It turns out. All we have to do is smuggle for 100 years. Yeah. Let's just smuggle for 100 years. I'd be up for that. Let's do it. I know some I'm holes. In. Visit a cove. The main lesson is don't go down in the muck heap until the toxic gases have dispersed. Yeah, yep. that's right. Beware of hedges. Yes. Yeah. Snape. Yes. Yes. And don't station your dragoons <laughs> in the inn. That Good will make perfect sense to me. <laughs> well, I think that will draw to a close unless you have any final thoughts. I wanted to have wanted throughout this podcast to talk about the Buggles, the uh, video killed the radio right. star nineteen eighties uh, MTV smash hit. I'm curious uh, hit to wonders. see where this is going. <laughs> Was the first music video ever played on MTV? That's right, the Classic Buggles pub quiz. And 
Was the guy from the Buggles not also the producer of some other big band? Chris is nodding. Trevor Horn. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Frankie Goes to Hollywood was the guy from the Buggles. Is <laughs> Trevor Horn. Trevor produced, Horn produced. And produced Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Right, so Buggles. Also, Hans Zimmer was in Buggles. Hans Zimmer, the um, uh, movie yeah. uh, composer. Well, well, well. Keyboard, wasn't he? Yeah, he Keyboard was. in Buggles. Before he wrote the theme tune to Going for Gold. Going for gold, going for gold. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer wrote the theme to Going for Gold. (laughs) I mean, that's another podcast about that. That's another (laughs) smuggling reference because Going for Gold is precisely what they were doing, wasn't it? Now, how did Buggles? How is Buggles? Yes. Well, Buggles smuggles. (laughs) What does Buggles do? He smuggles. Buggles smuggles. Doesn't he? What else does he do? Buggles does sound like he could be a like um a a, associative crocky fellows and clumpy bowls. Uh, I'm thinking him more of a charity a thon mascot. <laughs> Do charity a thons have mascots? Do charities have a thons? <laughs> Bugsy! <laughs> um, is anyone else st- surprised that Red Nose Day is still happening? I'm so surprised. Isn't that amazing? Still going. They'll never stop. They'll never stop. I didn't know it was happening until today. I was like, oh, I don't see anyone wearing red noses anymore. No, no. people but, putting them on the front of their cars. No, but is that just because we don't? We're not involved with schools in the way that Rosie is. Do you see no. a lot of Red Nose Day? No, but it's still on. I mean, it's still going. There was a thing on the radio about how excited they were that there was some new innovation in noses. Mm. <laughs> They're not made of plastic anymore. There you go. What is it? Once they put hands Orange. on them. I 3D, they're 3D printed. <laughs> I think we'll draw to a finish. I idea. don't think that these additional this is gonna get comments are <laughs> leading to any great insight. Thank you for the drinks. I very much enjoyed Rosie's drink. And I was I was intrigued. That is... I was very intrigued to try Rob's drink. And fingers crossed it hasn't I wonder what's us. going to happen to us in the night. I wonder too. I wonder too. Yeah. But thanks for coming. Wonderful. Thanks for having us. Wonderful. That was a great story. And great story. Um, thank you listeners for listening. And join us next time. We'll be back with more Strange Histories of East Anglia. Hooray! Hooray! Ruth is indeed stranger than fiction. <laughs> you don't end with something like that with the name of the podcast? Not usually. Oh, okay. <laughs>